right. Well, welcome everybody to Mentally Unscripted, your favorite podcast to help you find the signal in a sea of noise. And today, as always, it's Paul. I'm here with Scott, my courageous co-host. And today we're going to take you behind the curtain. You're going to be able to see and understand how we came to think how we think. This is our origin story. And we're going we're gonna to use the Moral Foundation Survey. Now, you may be familiar with the Moral Foundation Survey if you're familiar with the work of Jonathan Haidt. Um, I don't know the whole history, and I would hate to uh, <laughs> say something that's untrue. So you can go there at moralfoundations.org. And there he has a whole series of surveys you can take and with the idea of exploring what your morals are. Uh, and you can do that uh, generally, as we're going to talk about today. But he has ones that are specific to gun rights and politicians and business ethics. So a whole host of topics. Uh, and we thought it would be especially interesting for us to sit down and talk about the results of uh, the survey, uh, Your Moral Foundations, I believe it's actually called. And um, we're gonna we're gonna spend some time talking about that. And Scott, I, I was gonna kick it off, but uh, do you have any thoughts before we we start chatting? No, I'm good. Just uh, glad to be here again. <laughs> all right. Okay. So uh, for for all you listening who don't have anything in front of you, uh, the results of the survey are organized around five themes, um, and they are the foundations, as as Jonathan Haidt talks about them. Um, in his in his book, uh, the the moral landscape, uh, but there are things like care and harm, fairness and cheating, loyalty and betrayal, authority of subversion, and sanctity and degradation. And and since the survey was was defined, he's added another one, which is uh, liberty and oppression. So uh, what we thought we could do today was we could talk about each one of the of the five, uh, and then six as a bonus, and talk about uh, what the what the foundation is, and then how we how we scored. So um, I'll go and read the first one. So the first one is care and harm. And this foundation is related to our long evolution as mammals with attachment systems and an ability to feel and dislike the pain of others. It underlies virtues of kindness, gentleness, and nurturance. So Scott, how did you score uh, relative to care and harm? Yeah, so I scored a 3.2, um, which according to the results here, puts me just above conservatives who came in at 3.1, and um, I guess quite a bit below liberals who come in at 3.7. Um, and that that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, I think generally um, my ideas of... Um, of Kindness, gentleness, and nurturance—they um, have a limit. Um, you know, I believe people deserve kindness up to a point. You know, I p- believe people deserve gentleness up to a point. Um, but there are there are limits. Um, whereas I kind of view liberals as maybe more um, falling in the spectrum of kindness at all costs, gentleness at all costs, um, which I just I, morally I just don't agree with that. I believe that people reach a point where, um, you just need to, you need to put kindness and gentleness and nurturance aside and respond in kind. Um, you know, not that I think it's, it's good to be cruel. Um, not that I ever go out of my way to be cruel. Um, but you know, if you're going to survive in the world, sometimes 
you just have to kind of put on that mask uh, to deal with what life is throwing at you. Right. Right. Well, I actually scored even lower, way lower than you. And I, I, I think when I recall when I took this survey, I was surprised that it was as low as, as it came out. So I came at 2.3, which is uh, quite a bit lower than the scores here. And, and for everyone listening, the scores that we're referencing, um, they have basically three three markers. So you've got a blue marker, which is liberal. You've got a red marker, which is conservative, and you've got a green. And these are bar charts. And so when I say marker, it's the bar height. Um, the, the higher the bar, the more that that foundation matters to you. Uh, so in, in this case, um, when, when I took the survey, which I, I think it was, it was before you did, um, you know, uh, the liberals scored a 3.7, the conservatives scored a 3.1, and I came in at 2.3, which would suggest that I, I have a much uh, lower, I guess, tolerance for harm um, and attachments, and and that may suggest that I'm just more. Um, I, I guess I can I can justify harm um, for actions, and so what, what comes to mind when I read this was thinking, do I support uh, corporal punishment? Would I execute somebody if they're on death row? And do I think that if certain offenses um, would qualify for that? And I think my answer is yes. I, I actually am not against. Um, uh, killing uh, criminals whose acts I consider to be out, outside the norms of society, uh, which I think in today's world is, is considered a controversial stance. Um, I, I, on the other hand, I don't believe that they should be killed in a, in a way that is um, cruel or torturous. So I, I don't know where, where harm would fit into that. Um, I, I liked, I listened to Douglas Murray uh, speak uh, a few weeks back and he, he talked about the challenge of this idea of having endless empathy and how you just become this pool of nothingness. Like you care about everyone so much, you can't do anything and you can't make tough decisions. Right. Um, and, you know, I, 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 that really resonates with me because at some point you do need to make tough decisions. And I, I do think that there's that, that balance that has to be struck. So, um, you know, I, I don't know if I took the survey today, would my harm measure be as low as it is today? I, I don't know. Um, maybe, I don't know. I, I, when I, whenever someone talks to me about something, uh, you know, in terms of, oh, well, hey, are these people being harmed? But oftentimes I'm thinking to myself, well, have you thought about the other people that are harmed while well, these people are being harmed? Um, so, okay. Yeah, that's, uh, um, yeah, just when you mentioned the Douglas Murray thing, that reminded me of an essay I read once about, um, essentially the author was saying, don't get down on me because I'm not concerned about everyone in the world because I don't have the resources and the energy to be concerned with everyone in the world. Um, right. Kind of the idea he had to focus on his family and his, his core group of people around him. Um, and it's unfortunate that bad things are happening to other people in the world, but we can't all spend our time, you know, worrying about every, every oppressed group, that's on the other side of the world, right? We have, we have to kind of, yeah. we have to prioritize. Um, and this is, so I thought about that when you were talking and, um, you know, and I think that's perfectly legitimate. Um, yeah. Well, you, you know, you think, think back to the, the starting point of, of the species and being in these small tribes. And in your mind, there are no other beings out there. There's just your little group, which could be 50 people. And at that point, caring about the well-being of 50 people 
is is something that is uh, difficult given your circumstances being out there without protection and not having the tools. Um, but it's it's a lot different than when you start to realize that there's other tribes out there um, and you start caring about the well-being of that other tribe. And then, you know, fl- uh, flash, uh, flash forward to, uh, you know, ADBC where we're, we're, we're going – uh, into these empires that have, I mean, even then, they don't even see the, the full spectrum of what the world is. They don't know how many humans are on the planet. They, they, they have a limited view of the people, and there they're caring about their empire, not necessarily the people outside of it. And then you, how they even think about that is one thing. Um, you know, do they really care about those people and want them to achieve more, or are they more about just uh, securing their own power and, and uh their, their joy of getting whatever they want in life. And then now you have today, right, where uh, essentially we can count on every human and, and sentient being on the planet. Um, we can we can approximate it. And we, we have an idea of the billions of humans and, and the number of dogs and cats and, and so forth. What is, the, what is the cognitive load that we're expected to take as we think about all those creatures? Um, and then once we find out how many living creatures exist in the universe and how many uh, the implications of our actions on them, what are we supposed to do, right? It, it, at some point, it, be, it, it becomes uh, truly an uh, unforgiving task to really care about <laughs> everything that's out there, right? Yeah. Um, but Yeah, and this is uh, maybe one of the tensions between um, – uh, technology and just our personal lives, right? Is <laughs> it's so easy to hear about all of the um, uh, all the pain and the suffering in the world that you can just get overwhelmed. And, right. And I think this is one of the things that leads us to some of the divisiveness that we have today, where uh, you know people kind of want to think like, you know, well, it's awful that this tragedy is happening, and you don't prioritize it at the top of your list the same way I do. You know, so therefore you're an evil person, you know, without any consideration to the fact that there's, you know, <laughs> probably a, a, a list a hundred pages long of other things that we all need to be concerned about too. Um, right. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question to say the least. Um, yeah. And one that I don't think we're ever going to get an answer to. No. Well, that's, that really is one of the, the most powerful takeaways I had from, reading Jonathan Haidt's book um, and then taking the survey was the idea that regardless of who I speak to, they're going to have a different measure for these five foundations or six as, as they now have. And so if I'm trying to push back on, on a position, I can reason it out. I can explain my position and perhaps my logic is, is more sound. Um, However, it doesn't mean that I'm going to have agreement from them if their foundations are different than mine. So it changes the way in which I've interacted with people and, and tried to understand them. It's not as if I have a perfect approach. I still grow <laughs> angry and I think to myself, well, you're a moron. Um, likewise, I'm sure they think the same of me. But uh, it has forced me to think a little bit differently, which I, I think is one of the uh, real uh, benefits of, of going through this process. Um, all right. Well, any, any more on harm? Are you ready to talk about fairness? Yeah, let's let's keep going. All right. So fairness and cheating, and and for everyone listening, um, the way that they're all uh, the the way that they position these or they ascribe them, they're sort of the two ends of the spectrum. 
so care and harm, uh, this one, fairness and cheating, the, the, the tension between the two. So uh, this foundation is related to the evolutionary process of reciprocal altruism. It generates ideas of justice, rights, and autonomy. Note in our original conception, fairness included concerns about equality, which are more strongly endorsed by political liberals. However, as we reformulate the theory in 2011 based on new data, we emphasize proportionality, which, in, which is endorsed by everyone, but is more strongly endorsed by conservatives. So that's the description for fairness and cheating. Now, how did you land on your results? Okay, so um, this one I actually was a little surprised on. I came out at a 3.7, so I'm just below the liberals at a 3.8. And I think well above the conservatives at a 3.1. And uh, what what surprised me on this is that my sense of fairness, I feel like, has always been just way, way overdeveloped, um, yeah. very strong. Like uh, any sense of um, disproportionate treatment, any sense of double standards of cheating mm-hmm. has always just really rubbed me the wrong way. Um Everything from a supervisor who makes rules and then thinks he doesn't or shouldn't have to follow them all the way up to, um, you know, our political elites taking advantage of the rules that they put in place to govern themselves. Um, Just, you know, like we mentioned, we were talking before the podcast about um, some of the hypocrisy of our politicians in this COVID uh, era. And I live here in Denver, and for those of you who haven't heard, our mayor recently uh, (laughs) made an announcement discouraging people from traveling, and then a half hour later went and got on an airplane to fly to Houston to spend Thanksgiving with his family. Um, So that sort of thing, right, that's that's not a lapse in judgment. That's a flat-out double standard, and, you know, people should be held account for this. Um, So the fact that I came in a little bit below liberals here – was surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you, Paul? Well, yeah, this this actually, this one surprised me as well because, um, so on my scale, the liberal was 3.8, the conservative was 3.1. I came in as a 2.0, which I think of all the measurements I had here, that sh- kind of shocked me because I feel very much the same way. I described someone, um, for the last couple of days, I said I'm a nonpartisan person. That's how I describe myself. If that's, that may not be true. My, my, what I see in the mirror may not actually be uh, reality. But I get so frustrated with the hypocrisy of the politicians on, on both sides of the aisle that always say, "Well, you need to go do X, but I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go do Y." And, and you say, "Why can't I do Y?" Well, you haven't earned it because you're not an elite uh, politician. I, I think. The, the only way I can I can understand the, the score that I have here is the other side of my brain, which may say, well, the, sort of that's the way it is. Uh, this idea that it may not be fair and just, but in nature, things aren't fair and just. Um, and so I think there's a tension in my mind between the two, which is trying to understand the model and then having sort of this righteous indignation, uh, particularly when it comes to human behavior and political actions. It's, it's one thing if you, you, you fall off a building and, and, you know, physics isn't fair. The laws of <laughs> physics aren't fair. Uh, you fall to the ground and you die. Uh, yeah, I, you know, that is the model working. There's another model which describes our behavior in, in the natural world 
And it's frustrating. It's frustrating to, to, to hear about these politicians that do exactly that. What, what your politician did uh, with, uh, you know, over, over Thanksgiving, what, um, what I, I learned you know, months back about these um, senators that all learned information about COVID and then sold a bunch of stock and they're trying to tell us, well, no, it actually isn't, has nothing to, to do with uh, hearing about this uh, upcoming pandemic. So I, I, I wonder if maybe that's the reason I came out as, as so much lower than the two, uh, because I, I can't, I, I don't know exactly. I, there, is, there is one area where I know that I'm extremely against um, these measures, and that's, that's just equity. Um, and that is my response to what I view as the, the philosophy of communism. Um, this idea that we can achieve a, a world in which all the outcomes are equitable, um, everyone has the exact same amount and everyone's pleased with the exact same amount. To me, that's just not at all based in reality. Uh, and that trying to push for measures to achieve that are often wrongheaded. Uh, so I, I wonder if perhaps that's how I, I came out. It's so much lower um, than, than either of these two uh, measures. Because, again, it, it surprised me. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, that sounds... That sounds interesting to me. Um, I mean, the whole idea of equality, I'm actually glad (laughs) that it it got taken out because there's just so much to talk about there. And and I think it's such a convoluted idea that it just seems to me like it would just kind of totally mess up um, some sort of a a survey like this. Yeah, Um, I agree. You know, because you've got... and I can't remember. Was he talking about equality of outcome, equity in outcome, or equity in opportunity? It, you um, know, in this definition, he, it he, doesn't really. Yeah, he uh, just says concerns clarify. about equality. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, the, <laughs> I agree with you about the whole equity thing. Like equity of outcome. I mean, for one thing, it's impossible. I mean, let's just be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, the. the the apparatus that you would have to have in place to enforce this would just be behemoth. And I don't think we have the enough resources in the entire world to operate something like that. And right. the opportunity for corruption is, would just be huge um, if yeah. you wanted to ensure the quality of outcome. And, and, you know, let's not forget, right. If you're going to ensure quality of outcome, you have to increase inequality of opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so in, going for equality on one side or equity on one side, you, you, you make it more unfair, unequal on the other side. Um, you know, for, for example, if you wanted to make a rule that everybody can only standing jump one foot high, right. You know, LeBron James, you're going to have to strap bowling balls around his waist, you know, Mm -hmm. or someone else who's not as athletically inclined, you're going to have to put springs on their shoes. Right. So in that way, right. You're treating three people differently. Yeah, and, 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 and if you're listening to Scott, yeah. you need and you haven't read it. Go read Harrison Bergeron. Yeah, uh, I, be, I believe yeah. it's by Vonnegut, if, yeah. I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and it's a short story, and they literally do exactly what Scott just described in this uh, new society. Yeah, yeah, and you've got a government agency that is responsible for coming up with the standards and enforcing them, um, and it's it's. It, it, on first reading, it's kind of absurd, but when you sit down and you think about it, you're like, wow, this, you know, equality of outcome could quickly start to move towards those levels. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
I, I agree. And I, I think there's also this concept of a mentality of abundance versus a mentality of scarcity. Um, and when I think about the, the scarcity model suggests, well, there, there's a limited pie. Therefore, we need to make sure everyone has the same bite. The, the abundance mindset says we just need to continue to grow the pie so people can get their bite and more. And there's, it's, it's a very simplistic way of looking at the way people view the world, having, having a mental, um, not, not a mental model, but a, uh, a mental outlook, their worldview. But whenever I hear about equity, what comes to mind, and, and anytime I actually get down to brass tacks and policies, it, it sounds as if there's a limitation. And there's, there's not the, uh, the technological change that allows us to have the abundance. Someone's telling me we can't have it. And we, I know we'll, we'll talk about this on many episodes in the future, but energy is a great example of that. Education, I think, is another good example. When someone's saying, well, we have to make sure we have these specific outcomes, and then you look at the resources that are going into it and then how they're, how they're being allocated – I, I, I just come back to there, there's smarter, better ways of distributing this, this uh, information, distributing the teaching that would allow us to give everyone uh, better opportunities um, on the front end and that they can help determine what their outcomes are on the back end. Is it perfect? No. no none of these systems are. As I think Churchill said, capitalism is the worst system except for all the rest. Yeah. <laughs> what, what they are, though, is, is a pragmatic way uh, and a coherent way of looking at the the pie and allowing people to achieve their best as individuals which i think um we'll talk about that as one of the other foundations but i'm sure you and i probably are, are very similar there um all right so should we talk about loyalty yeah let's go ahead and move on all right all right loyalty and betrayal this foundation is related to our long history as tribal creatures able to form shifting coalitions it underlies virtues of patriotism and self-sacrifice for the group. It is active anytime people feel that it's one for all and all for one. Now, how, how did you score, Scott, on this one? So on loyalty, I um, I scored below both the conservatives and the um, and the liberals on this one. I came in at a one point eight. Liberals came in at a two point one, and conservatives came in at a three point one. Um, Mm -hmm. now this does not surprise me at all. Um, you know, being a libertarian, um, there's probably no surprise that since I'm a libertarian, like I believe that individualism, you know, trumps the collective, Mm -hmm. um, you know, especially when you're talking on a large scale. Um, uh, you know, I believe that when you're talking on a small scale, when you're talking about a family or a community, right, the collective is very important, but you still need to have room to be an individual. When you're talking on a large scale, um, when, you, when you're breaking things down based on race lines or gender lines, right, um, the, I, I think the collective is largely useless in those instances. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think society as a whole benefits um, – when we let people be individuals, when we let people do their thing, um, let people um, pursue their own self-interest. Um, for those of you who uh, are familiar with the wealth of nations, right? The invisible hand and everyone. Um, it, it's not from the benevolence of the, what is it? The butcher baker and the, I can't remember what the quote was um, from, uh, from that writing, but it, 
it's in the pursuit of their self-interest that you end up getting food to eat, right? Mm -hmm. It's not because they woke up in the morning and said, you know, I'm going to do good for the community and bake bread, right? The baker wakes up in the morning and says, I want to make money. So he bakes the bread and he sells it. Um, and that's basically, you know, kind of the driving force behind a lot of my philosophy is that we, we just need to leave people alone to do their thing, do right. And, uh, it's not perfect, right? There's going to be bad people out there, but you know, those bad people, they're going to exist in a collectivist society too, right? It's just their methods of doing bad are going to change. Um, and in a collectivist society, right? Um, the, the folks who do bad, I think, are a little easier to hide, and they can hide in the government bureaucracy. Um, they can hide yep. in the apparatus that's designed to enforce the collective, whereas in an open society that's based more on merit and individualism, you know, these folks, they may get away with it for a while, but they're going to eventually get found out. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I think we see that a lot, you know, from the cult leaders um, and just the the con men and the shysters, um, you know, the Bernie Madoffs of the world. Right. They get away with it for a while, but people will figure it out. Yeah. No, I, I, I tend to agree. And I, actually, it's 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 interesting because I, I agree with a lot of what you just said. It really resonated with me. And yet my score here was actually slightly above uh, conservative. I came out at 3.2. Loyalty for conservatives on mine was 3.1. And and uh, the liberals was a, was a 2.1. And I, I, I think perhaps the reason I scored that, if I'm, I'm just trying to really understand that, because I, I do really believe we have to give individuals the right to pursue their own self-interest. I, I can't imagine a world that's going to be better without that. However, when I look at the challenges, sort of the existential risks as I view them, there is value in us being able to come together around a common enemy. And, and the, the model that, that has been playing out in my head is, is uh, and this diverges a little bit from looking at the loyalty here, but in the last four years, we've had, um, a, a con- in the United States, a continuous discussion about the, the, uh, the evil, evilness of the, the president, orange man in the office. And this idea that we're going to have all of the people on the left that are going to, to basically rise up to, to thwart anything that this man does, uh, was able to bring together that loyalty around the common enemy. Uh, and then a lot of people saying, listen, all we need is, is a replacement. As long as we had just someone in the office who's more uh, respectful in tone, more presidential, then everything will be solved. And I, I've, I thought about that for um, a lot of different reasons. Uh, and, I, and I thought to myself, yeah, I would love to have a president that did this and spoke this way and did these types of policies. And what, I, what I've come to since think about is we don't need a better president. We need a better enemy. We need the enemy that can that can unify us um, around. I think the the shared principles of what I consider to be the United States. Now, uh, you and I have talked online, offline about this. I, I I like a lot of the ideals of the United States, which I think at, at the end of the day is built around the individual. It is it is to allow the individual to achieve their uh, their goals. However, at times you need to be able to come together to fight existential risks. Um, 
And so I, I wonder if that kind of played out. Now, you know, in my, my formative years when I was uh, in fifth grade, uh, I was in Saudi Arabia and we had the Gulf War. I was around the troops that were there. Uh, I mean, that's not even a war. I mean, it obviously is a war. It's, it's combat. People died. Uh, we, we had people that were, were injured. And then you have all the, the um, civilian casualties that occurred Um but not not in comparison to a World War One or World War Two or Vietnam, uh, not nothing on that scale. Uh, but it but it did impart to me this sort of this idea of like rising up to the challenge. So I, I guess maybe I'll, I'll ask you that, Scott. D- does any of that resonate with you, or do you do you or or not when you hear some of what I'm saying from a loyalty perspective? Yeah, it it does, um, and I think maybe the way I look at it as. Um, the way you're describing it is folks rising up to a challenge to 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 face off against a common common enemy. Um, I view that just as individualistic as I do collectivist, um, mm. because people are they're essentially given the choice, right? Do you mm-hmm. want to step up? Um, do you find this this enemy compelling? Do you find this enemy dangerous? Um, right. So, like some of what we're seeing today, you know, if um, you know, if, if you speak out against, um, Afghanistan or something, right. You're, uh, you're not, and you get accused of, you know, not supporting the troops. And, you know, if we don't fight them over there, we'll fight them over here. So you mm-hmm. must not love our freedom and stuff like that. Right. When people do take sort of take these ad hominem attacks against you, right. They're, they're kind of removing your freedom to be the individual and to have your own Mm -hmm. opinion. So they're kind of forcing you into the collective um, by shaming you into believing a certain way, or at least publicly speaking in a certain way. And I think that's where it, it breaks down for me. Um, Right. You you know, so the individuals in pursuing their own self-interest, right. Sort of, it's sort of the market speaking as to whether we find this enemy to be a viable enemy. And -hmm. I think that's why there's so much propaganda around, um, around terrorism, around COVID, around racism these days is um, you, you're, they're trying to pull people into the collective either. By, yeah. Unfortunately, it's not by convincing them with logic. It's trying to shame them essentially into joining the collective. Um, and th- that's what I don't like. Yeah. Well, and, and there's malform, uh, malformed loyalty, if that's even a, a way of describing it, where you right. are loyal to the concept regardless of the outcomes. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking we've we've got this uh, this narrative around uh, terrorism is, is a great example of well you you need to be loyal to your country to, in order to fight this terrorism. Well, the the way in which you're fighting it isn't necessarily the way in which I think that we could fight it and be most effective. So what what am I, I'm really being loyal to our ideals uh, without being loyal to your uh, your war, if you will. Yeah, and. There was a um, a conversation I heard. Uh, it was it was a um, a man. I, I want to say he was a libertarian from England who uh, was explaining the idea of of you know, libertarianism to a to someone who was kind of just exploring the concept. And one of the points he made that really resonated with me is the next time you say we should go fight a battle, you should say I will go and enlist and go and fight in that battle. That, that is the level at which you are committing. You, so your, your loyalty needs to be to yourself, putting yourself on the line. That's the individual that's willing to make that sacrifice. And that really, I think, hit home because 
there is this idea, this bravado, where someone, and, and I hear this a lot, and it doesn't, it really does not resonate with me, this idea of, well, the United States military is so powerful, we could just destroy anybody on, on, the, on the earth, and true or not, I mean, I'm not sure how you could even correct that claim and validate it, um, is that really the right way to think about it? And in my mind, it isn't. Um, there's when you have that enemy, the individual, to your point, has to be able to say, "Well, I'm going to I'm going to fight." Now, I may disagree a little bit on this. Well, we have a common cause. Perhaps it comes down. It starts with a selfish form, which is wanting to preserve my family, and um, and then it goes on to preserve my my you know myself, my family, my neighbors, etc. But at some point, you know, the, the flag of justice, uh, whatever it looks like, and those those badges of honor. They, they create that symbolism that allows us to, to operate in kind of a, a larger group. Uh, so, you know, I, I guess I'm torn a little bit. Uh, it has to be uh, the loyalty. It, 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 it can serve a purpose, uh, but it also needs to, to um, you need to be cautioned against it when it's, using, when it's using you as a weapon, right? When it's using you to go fight wars or to uh, enact injustices or inequalities, uh, just because, you know, hey, by the way, you support, uh, I mean, honestly, the greatest example I could see uh, in recent, uh, in the last six months would probably be around Black Lives Matter, where I think a lot of people uh, feel very loyal to this idea of fighting racism, which I think is noble and good, and, and I, I agree with that. But then they, they believe that they have to be loyal to the Black Lives Matter movement, um, without stepping back and saying, well, I, I, can, I can do one without the other. Uh, just like I think you can say, I'm against terrorism without believing we need to be fighting a war in Afghanistan. Um, I, what do you think about what I just said? Agree? Disagree? Yeah, no, I think definitely. I think, um, you know, like most things in the world, there's a lot of nuance here. There's, there could yeah. be a lot of complexity, right? So it, it kind of sounds like you're talking about loyalty on levels. Um, you know, on one level, yeah. you're loyal to our principles, but on the next level down, you're not loyal to the process that is being used to pursue those principles. Um, so, yeah, I think there's definitely merit to that. Um, the other thing I was thinking of when you were talking is like, you know, loyalty can sometimes be mutually exclusive to right? if you're loyal to one thing, you can get accused of being, you know, unloyal or you know, disloyal, whatever the word is to something on the other side. Right. So there, mm-hmm. you're, you're always going to be opening yourself up to some sort of criticism. Um, like I'm thinking kind of right now. Um, one of the big things in the news or one of the things in the news is Trump's wanting to withdraw from Afghanistan. Right. You know, right. So, right. I, I support that. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm loyal to the idea that we don't need to be fighting these wars and building an empire. Um, you know, so my thinking is like, just get the troops out of there. Right. We've been there 20 years. We've accomplished right. next to nothing. Just get them out. Yep. Whereas I hear other people, saying, you know, well, we need to do this, but Trump's not doing it right. And, you know, if we bring the troops home using Trump's process, right, they're all going to come home in body bags, um, you know, with absolutely no no evidence or any reason to explain how this is, how these troops are going to end up in body bags. But what makes me think is like, you've got these people, like they, on one level, like they're loyal to the idea of bringing home the troops, but 
on the other level, they're loyal to the idea of being anti-Trump and just trying to figure mm-hmm. out a way to criticize anything Trump does. And they almost right. become mutually exclusive, right? So in, <laughs> in being loyal to, to being anti-Trump, you, you have to suddenly start criticizing plans to bring the troops home. Yeah. So, um, and it, it, it sets up a lot of hypocrisy, I think. And, and it just, and my whole point here is that when, you know, when it's this question of loyalty, right? It's like when you, when you choose a, a position to be loyal to, you, you open yourself up to criticism from other people. Right. Um, and yeah, that's something you just have to kind of deal with. Yeah. You have to have strength and character and, and be comfortable with it that you're right. not going to please everybody. I mean, if, if you just know that people are going to have different measurements just on this one scale, you know that you're never going to have see eye to eye with people, and that's okay. Be, right. You know, you can accept that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's. Yes. I think that's a really good point. I, do you know um, the the uh, Nassim Taleb quote? Uh, I'm sure I'm going to destroy it, but it's something like, "I'm a communist with my family. I'm a socialist with my neighborhood." I'm a uh, Republican at the state, yeah. and I'm a libertarian yeah. <laughs> like on, yeah. at the world level. You know, even if you disagree with that, it's, it is an, another way of thinking about those levels, that you don't have to be pigeonholed into one idea, this, this sort of straight-line principle that you're going to be able to always be loyal at every single level across the board. I mean, perhaps you agree with everything that sits within the Democratic Party in terms of their ideals, but you look at the party and say, hey, you know what, you guys are a bunch of corrupt uh, people. I, do, I don't agree with it. I can't support your organization. Does that make you disloyal to the idea of equity? I, I don't think so. It makes you frustrated and loyal to the idea of equity that's not being achieved. Um, and and that's I think that's the liberation you have to give your mind. Be, be loyal to your principles, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think that's some of the. I think that's some of the reason why um you know some of these criticisms that we see um are, are kind of disingenuous, like right? because we you kind of cross those levels to find contradictions yeah. in people. It's like, oh well, you say you're a libertarian who believes in the meritocracy, so how come you're not making your six year old kid go out and get a job and you know buy his own food, <laughs> right? You know, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of an absurd example, but you know we we yeah. do kind of hear that sometimes, right? Sure, and, sure. and I think that's a hundred percent accurate, right? It's like you, you on different levels. Right, it, it, it kind of your principles shift a little bit. Sure, uh, yeah, and, and and that's reality. That's that's pragmatic. Yeah. All right, you uh, you ready to talk about authority? Yep. Let's move on. All right, uh, authority and subversion. This foundation was shaped by our long primate history of hierarchical social interactions. It underlies virtues of leadership and followership, including deference to legitimate authority and respect for traditions. All right, Scott, how, how did you score here? <laughs> so uh, this one maybe surprised me the most out of all of them. I, I scored low. Uh, I came in at a 1.8, liberals mm-hmm. 2.1, um, and conservatives 3.3. 3. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I'd be a lot lower than this. Um, authority and I, we do not get along. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I do not like being told what to do, which is, um, probably one reason why my, <laughs> my corporate career just sort of kind of floundered. Um, I, sure. I kind of did not like being that guy in the cubicle. Um, anyone who reads my blog has probably seen the phrase cubicle zombie more than once. Uh, yeah. That, yeah. I just, it just always rubbed me the wrong way that I was, you know, subject to just being told what to do by someone else who, you know, maybe 
wasn't as smart or as well versed in the subject matter as I was, but mm-hmm. you know, because of political considerations or whatever, right? I was being told to do something that I didn't agree with. Um, yeah, uh, but that goes. I mean, that goes all the way back. I've never been a big fan of authority, right? Um, and you know, and perhaps that informs why I'm a uh, an anarcho capitalist, right? <laughs> <laughs> that could be. Yeah, that could be. Um, you know, there's there's always going to be authority. I mean, humans are just hierarchical by nature, um, right? But for me, like the less power that we can give those authorities, the better off we are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I scored uh, a 3.3, so right right there with conservatives. And again, everything you're saying really resonates with me, so I'm almost surprised uh, by the result here. I guess I'm surprised across the board. With, I, don't, I don't know myself. Um, but I, I, you know, and I, and I go through, well, why would I score this way? And I... Um, I think it's because I, I do. I have that frustration and anger, which goes back to those political appointments. Someone has done very well. They've optimized around their political capital, and they're able to secure a position of power, and yet they're not competent. You know, I'll follow someone who's competent, and maybe that's that's part of my mentality. Like, if I've got someone who is telling me to do X, and I can defer to them to go do something in order to achieve a broader goal, and they're competent. Right, they're competent, and, and I and I, I mean, I, I do this today, and I see it in my in my thinking and my reasoning. Um, I'm I'm more comfortable with that. Maybe that's the reason that I'm I'm more comfortable with authority, but it has to be competent authority. And the the number of people I would put in that circle is, is relatively small. And then on top of that, what what I struggle when I look at this reading is that I in the last seven eight months think about the meme trust science believe science. I, I absolutely believe in the process of science as a way to discover the truth. And I also believe that the people that are touting that meme are liars who cannot be trusted. Uh, <laughs> because they, they tell me something like, well, it's a peer-reviewed study. Well, peer review is not science. I, I, I don't know how many times we have to go through this. Science is simply the replication of results. It's you, you, you have a theory, you have a model, you test the model, and you get the results that you think you're going to get. Can you do that? hundred times can you do it a thousand times to the point that at some point it becomes a law that is science peer review is not science uh, peer review is just a proxy for us to try and say well are people using what we think are scientific measures or methods within this certain realm that's considered uh, orthodox uh, within the scientific community which by itself is politicized so I sit here and go well yeah I, I believe in the authority of, of science as a process I don't believe in the people that are supposed to be my overlords telling me how I need to operate. doesn't mean that they can't be truthful, too. So I, I do think, and, and, and to take that another step further, the principles that were given to us by the founding fathers in this country were against authority. They were, they were balanced between the idea of, of having authority, so having some kind of uh, way in which we govern um, groups of people, but also saying, I mean, if you think about the quotes that we have from those people, you know, the the, the tree of, of freedom must be bathed in blood every so, so many generations, right? <laughs> right These yeah. are people that think you're going to have to fight back and you can never give away your freedom. So if you're going to believe in authority and you're going to trust in authority, you can't do it without being suspicious. You have to always be willing to stand up. So 
again, I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised at my results. And, and maybe as I'm talking it through, it kind of, you can see the reasoning that goes on in my head. I, I can, well, I can, I can maybe have a higher authority, but then also where I would almost score, you know, next to your level of like, no, 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 I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, when you were talking, I, it occurred to me that maybe, maybe what you meant about, you know, we need authorities, but they have to be credible and, and competent. You know, maybe that's why I scored a little higher because I do believe that, right? I mean, I'm just, you know, like we talked about, we can't care about everyone in the world. Well, I, I can't right. be an expert on every subject. So in some places, right. I just have to defer um, to authorities, right? But you just have to, you know, and that's a good thing. It's, an, it's a necessary thing, like kind of a division right. of labor if we're going to talk about sort of market concepts, right? Let yeah. this guy over here be the expert at treating cancer, and then I'll be the expert at, you know, getting on a podcast and ranting or something. Um, and you know, and that's the way society works, right? We all work together, I think, mm -hmm. but I do in, I do have a, a distrust of authority in, you know, how credible are you, right? Are you, are you really the person we should be listening to? So it yeah. takes time to, to build up that trust and that credibility. Um, mm -hmm. you know, which is one of the things like, you know, again, to go back to COVID, right. We had, you know, okay, there's this, this virus is coming over from China. Okay. So we have this guy named Neil Ferguson pops up with this model at Imperial college of London that estimates what, like 2.2 .2 million dead in the U S even with strict controls in place or something. And all of a sudden this guy is just, it's just gospel. I mean, this guy is the authority. And, and no one, I mean, who had heard of this guy before, <laughs> before COVID, right. Right? right? Even though he had modeled some viruses in, in, over the last 10 years. And incidentally, like he has consistently been way high on his estimated deaths uh, mm -hmm. on those previous models, you know, but, but all of a sudden, right, this guy's the authority or Anthony Fauci, <laughs> right? He's been with the government for, you know, longer than I've been alive. No one had ever heard of him. But all yeah. of a sudden, you know, we're supposed to accept his word as gospel because the government or someone in the government who, again, their credibility and authorities in question is telling us right. to believe this guy. Um, yeah. So it, it, there's a lot of tension there. Uh, there and, there and maybe maybe that's one of the tricks to life, right? It's just kind of, you know, there, there's a tyranny of authority. In order to to kind of fight back against that, like you said, you kind of, you kind of have to push back. You kind of have to be, yeah. you have to not be afraid to question, and you not you have to not be afraid to demand that these people, like you know, show me some evidence, show me why you're a credible source on this, right? Um, and and you know, and to, to take it another step, you know, again, like this is the idea of where the collective comes in, right? And, and why it can be so dangerous because it's, you know, how dare you question Anthony Fauci, right? Mm -hmm. you, you know, you just want to kill grandmas ever, you know, you don't care about yeah. life. You, you're, you're putting, you know, business above human life and things like that. Um, yep. and, and we really need to, to step back from that. And I think, um, you know, in my sense is most people are more than, most people are do they they do mistrust authority a little bit, um, mm -hmm. especially something from the government. I think just a lot of people are just afraid to say it, um, right. and, may, and we need to just kind of push past that. And I, I kind of have a feeling as this podcast goes and we we accumulate episodes, we're going to be talking about this a lot um, because yeah. this idea of authority is becoming so 
so ingrained in our culture and this idea of dissenting from authority and, and, you know, getting banned on Twitter and things like that is it's, it's just going to keep growing. Well, it, it is interesting as you're, as you're talking about it, I mean, the last four years, there's been a part of our country that is talking about the president as an authoritarian figure. And, um, I'm not sure I've seen evidence that would suggest that now people will point to me about his uh, wanting, demanding loyalty from his inner circle, firing people that he believes uh, give him information he doesn't like. Uh, so that, that is evidence of authoritarianism. Uh, then they, they look at um, maybe some of the policies. Now, from a policy perspective, I haven't seen what I consider authoritarianism. On the other hand, or rather, if I think to what I could see as policies as being authoritarian, I do see uh, people and their response to COVID starting to align to more of an authoritarian type of regime. Uh, where, and we, we, I know we talked about this on a different episode of, you know, the vaccine. Well, are you required to show your your proof of um, that you've had the vaccine or you've had a, a, a negative COVID test? Um, and where does that go from here? Uh, people are realizing and waking up to the fact that they're going to have control. Um, and, and when I say people, I mean people in the government that have a responsibility based on being elected, but also then the power to do something to control the population in a way that gives certain outcomes. And you could say, well, that's good. That's bad. Um, seatbelts. Maybe it's a great example. People say, well, you know, we're required to wear seatbelts. Look at how many deaths have come down. You can look at the other way. Well, now, you know, we have to wear seatbelts in our car and that, that infringes on my liberty. But the stuff I think that's coming out to me is going to be infinitely more invasive um, than, uh, than seatbelts uh, on, the, on the grand scale. Um, things like you go to go to the grocery store and your phone beeps because you don't have a clean test on it. So then a person comes up and asks you, well, can you prove that you've had a clean test of COVID or that you've taken the vaccine? Otherwise, you're not allowed to shop at, choose any grocery store you're going to. Um, that, that's, I mean, that's effectively what they're doing in other places like, like China. Um, and you could easily see it happening here. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, from an authority perspective, you're right. I think we're going to have a lot more discussions about it um, and the trade-offs uh, for for harm uh, versus versus that authoritarian. In a lot of ways, I mean, we talk about authority. I mean, it really is trying to balance the, the amount of harm that's done with the amount of control that's that's being given out to a, a government entity. Yeah, and I, I think something to keep in mind here is like we we kind of have this illusion of safety, right? We a lot of times mm -hmm. will allow more authority in questions of safety and public health. Um, you mentioned seatbelts. Um, I, I, I haven't like independently checked in this, but I remember reading an article, I think on Farnham Street, where when the seatbelt mandates went into place, yeah, the number of deaths of people in the driver's seat and the front side passenger seat went down, but deaths in the back seats went up. Deaths of pedestrians and bicyclists went up because the seatbelt gave the driver a false sense of security. <laughs> and so they actually, right. right. So they, they started taking more chances while they were driving. Right. So, yeah. you know, that's the unintended consequences, right. 
right. in, in the lockdowns, right? We're hearing tons about, you know, how many people, how many excess deaths we're going to have from tuberculosis and cancer um, mm-hmm. um, because people were going to the hospitals yeah. to get treated. Yeah. You know, they were, I heard um, maybe someone can, can check and see what the, if, how accurate this number is, but I heard we're already like at the end of September, we were already at three times the number of suicides this year than we were last year or something wow. like that. It was wow. a lot. Um, you know, so, um, you know, so the, so the deaths that are resulting from the lockdowns, from the poverty and all that, right. Over the next five years, I think it's going to far exceed anything that was ever even, um, even, even the high end extreme, um, estimates on the number of deaths from COVID. Um, yeah. but you know, but we're still more than happy to cede control, more control of our lives, to right. the government and, and to the politicians um, in, in the name of public health. And that's, yeah. you know, that's, that's very worrisome. And um, it, I think it was Milton Freeman said, Milton Friedman, who said, um, there's nothing so permanent as a temporary government program. <laughs> I mean, yeah. once, once the government takes this power, to, they don't give it back. No. <laughs> you know, they may make a show of giving a little bit of it back, but they don't give it all back. Right. Um, they never and, do. Yeah, that's that's so that's one of the worrisome things about me, and I think yeah. that's that's another reason why we have to be, you know, you, you kind of just you, you have to have the courage to just kind of question authority and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, is, is this really is this really a good thing that we're doing here? Right. Um, so, I I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, we'll look at uh, sanctity next or purity. <laughs> Uh, so actually they call it sanctity, sanctity or degradation. This foundation was shaped by the psych, psychology of disgust and contamination. It underlies religious notions of striving to live in an elevated, less carnal, more noble way. It underlies the widespread idea that the body is a temple which can be desecrated by immoral activities and contaminants, an idea not unique to religious traditions. We think there are several other good candidates for uh, foundation. Oh, well, yeah. sorry. So, that, so that's <laughs> the idea of sanctity and degradation. Uh, how did you score here? So this one is my lowest, um, which does not surprise me. I came in at a point three. Um, wow, really? Okay. Yeah. So liberals coming in at one point five, um, conservatives coming in at three, um, and yep. I think. Maybe this is an example of maybe the limitations of surveys like this, because when I was reading through the survey, um, when I saw purity and sanctity, I immediately went to religion. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm not at all a religious person. Um, yeah. But, you know, having read, er, kind of read the explanation here, dude, I, I am a healthy person. Like, I don't generally eat a lot of junk food, I, you know, mm-hmm. and I exercise, I take care of myself. I drink a gallon of water every day, that sort of thing. Um, so I, I think maybe if I had read the questions a little bit more th- with that focus, yeah. um, not strictly on religion, I probably would have ranked higher. Yeah. Um, but from the religious perspective, yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I, uh, sure. just yeah. the idea of having a religion telling me how to live, um, right. it, it doesn't, it, 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 again, going back to authority, right? I don't want someone telling me how to live. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I want to yeah. make my own decisions. On the other hand, I'm very principled, right? I've got my principles and I do my best to stick to them. And I understand that I'm not perfect. Um, right. So, um, yeah, I guess I, I don't have a ton to say on this one. Uh, how about you? Yeah. So I, I scored a 2.7. So, so higher on it than the liberals. Um, 
and almost double the, the liberals and closer to the conservative. And, you know, I, I don't I have to even go back to the questions to try and understand this because um, I, I, I'm not sure that this score necessarily surprises me because I, I know that there's things that um, I, I kind of look at and particularly in today's environment where, um, you know, we've sort of opened up what I would consider, um, you know, discussion, almost any, any kind of activity as being, um, uh, something we can, we can discuss, we can open it up, right. It's sort of this relativistic, uh, moral s- landscape. And, um, you know, in, in, I think the, the righteous, the righteous mind, uh, I'm not sure if you've, you've read this part yet, but Hyde talks about this scenario. I think it was in Germany where two men contracted one to basically be the victim of cannibalization um, and the other to, to be the executor, if you will. And it was all consensual. Uh, they both agreed to it. There was a, a sexual element to it uh, on both sides. And I, 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 I can't, I, there's nothing I can say that's going to say as much as I can say, well, we, we're all going to live together that I, I can see that as a norm that I'm okay with. Um, I just, I, I can't, I can't get there. Um, it, it, it turns my stomach. Um, and, and I, I do wonder often about the norms that we establish, um, not wanting them to be strictly enforced, but more from a tradition perspective. So I like the idea of traditions, um, as being a way to maintain a culture. Cause I, I think to me, the culture as a way in which we have common, uh, you know, traditions that we share allows us to not have to, to, to feel like a community without the authoritarian nature. Um, now when the, the traditions turn into something that, you know, now your community is going to come in there and consider you a heretic. Um, that that's where we, the authoritarian is coming back in and we're losing the flexibility of the tradition. So, um, you know, a good example that I remember being in downtown Chicago and we went to the, um, the Christmas Mart there and at the, the front of the market, there was the Christmas tree and then they had a menorah and then they had an A for atheism. So they had kind of, uh, the only thing that they, they, I guess they could have had would be something, uh, to honor the, the Muslim tradition. But, um, you know, it was this idea that everyone's coming together. Everyone likes to go to the market. Everyone likes to get the food. Everyone likes to walk around and be in that, that kind of joyous environment. And it, it doesn't have to be just one religion or one idea. Um, and that's, that's the sort of this cohabitation of these traditions. And so they can, they can continue to thrive. We can have a tradition of being tolerant uh, for other traditions. Um, but then there's other, again, there's other types of behavior that I, I guess I just, I will always struggle with. Um, and, and I, I'm just not sure I'd be able to get beyond, um, you know, he, he also talks about in the book about incest and, um, he, he explains it in, in this way and you kind of, you sit there and you go, yeah, I mean, I, I guess when I think about it, it's something that we just sort of, you know, I mean, you're raised to say, well, incest is bad because look at all the, you know, we have the Habsburgs and we have these other types of dynasties that incest in them and it caused, um, you know, brain issues. It caused all kinds of, of growth challenges. Uh, and then he explains it a little bit differently. You're like, well, if they, if they don't know it and, and I, I, I still can't, no, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't do it. I can't, I can't do it. I can't just justify it. Um, pedophilia is another one. I just, no matter, 
what's said about it to me I, I just have this this righteous indignation of I've, I've got to defend my niece and nephew um, if someone was trying to, to describe to me why it would be okay to accept that I go no I, I, I I'm not going to listen to any arguments I have no desire to hear about it it's wrong and I'm not going to accept it yeah so. I think like in cases like that I think there's a lot of counterbalancing principles at play um, mm-hmm. you know like like with pedophilia right it's kind of going back to fairness I mean how fair is it that someone who is older and has a, a greater mental capacity is taking advantage of someone who is younger and not yet um, has not yet developed the physical or mental capacity to, um, right. to defend themselves. Right. So right. that in me would, you know, fall squarely into like, the, this is not justice, right? This is completely unfair. Yeah. Um, so I see what you're saying um, about, you know, some of these things are kind of hard to stomach. Um so they're, they would be kind of hard to accept, um, yeah. you know, but it, 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 the way I look at it, though, is if two people come together and they enter into an agreement with each other um, and they're both, you know, of legal age and, mm-hmm. um, uh, and uh, you know, the right mental capacity and that sort of thing, um, even if I disagree with it, you know, I, I think they should be allowed to do that. Yeah, well, and, and what you're describing, I think, is, is, yeah, it is that sort of having the flexibility to allow certain, you know, certain arrangements, not all arrangements, right. but certain arrangements, because that is consenting adults. Like, I, I, that's, that's, that's the other thing. I follow on that, right? That, that makes sense to me, even though I can disagree it on a personal level, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I can say that I'll never get there, that I can just accept it. Right. Uh, now, does that mean that I, I have to be cruel to these people, or I have to be rude, or I have to go after them. No, not at all. Um, it also means that if it's brought to my attention, I'm, I don't have to shy away from telling people, no, I, I disagree with this. Um, and, and I'm not going to be swayed in another direction. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's that, and that's the nuance that you talk a lot about. I mean, there, there, it's not as if um, everything, I mean, we're not, you and I aren't setting policy. You and I are on in the chair of having to write things out. We're trying to understand the world. We're not, we're not the ones that are trying to be prescriptive about it. And, you know, more people can do that and get along with their fellow citizens and, you know, friends and family. Yeah. And and maybe this is a discussion of like, you know, where, where does the authority of the state to enforce a certain standard, to enforce a certain behavior end? And then where, you know, should the state stay out of it? And we just kind of let society sort of enforce these standards. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'm trying to think of an example. So, like, I guess in most states here in the U.S., um, hair people who cut hair have to have a license. Um, yeah. And it's like, you know, what exactly are you trying to protect us from here? You know, what is the right. point of this license? Um, so, does the state really need to license haircutters, or can the community and the market do just as good? You know, on Yelp, saying like this person gave yeah. me a terrible haircut, right? Right. Um, so, right. yeah. So, um, so I think authority probably comes in a little bit there too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, um, the last one that I think is, is worth asking about, I know we didn't do a, an actual question on it, but it's liberty and oppression. And I feel like we've probably touched on this a little bit, but why don't I read it and we can, we can share our thoughts on it, not knowing what we would have scored. Um, this foundation is about the feelings of reactance and resentment people feel toward those who dominate them and restrict their liberty. Its intuitions are often in tension with those of the authority foundation. 
The hatred of bullies and dominators motivates people to come together in solidarity to oppose or take down the oppressor. So when you when you hear that definition, what do you think? Um, I imagine that I would score very high on the liberty side, um, yeah. you know, just from the conversations we've had about um, fairness and authority. Um, I don't think it's <laughs> I don't think it's it, it would be any surprise that I would kind of my whole thing is sort of like, you know, throwing off the shackles of the oppressor, I guess. I don't, you know, that sounds probably a little overdramatic, yeah. uh, but the, the reason why I'm kind of on this path of doing the blog and doing the podcast is because I want to try to, um, I, I want to try to set my life up in a way so that I can live my life on my terms without having someone else dictating that I need to be at work at a certain time in the morning, um, you know, and I have to take lunch at a certain time and th things like that. Um, and also, um, you know, I think kind of generating um, like these independent sources of income, um, mm -hmm. it, 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 you know, it kind of frees you up um, so that when the government does things like orders a lockdown of the economy, right? You're, you're still, right. You still have income coming in, right. You're not dependent right. on the government letting you go to your job or declare you an essential worker. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I, I think a lot of, a lot of my life, especially right now, kind of centers around this idea of kind of trying to just um, gain autonomy from what I feel like is just an ever increasingly oppressive system. Right. Yeah. I, I have to think I would I would score relatively high here as well. And, and going back to the same points you mentioned, I, I I have a personal belief and principles for how I want to live. But then I, I also strongly believe that we should default to allowing individuals to just determine what that is, rather than a collectivist mindset of well we can solve for it. And there's a lot of reasons for that. It's not even. Um, it's not even just just out of pure principle that the that the individual should be allowed to be free of the shackles. There's there's the argument I think that's continuously made that that decisions made at that level tend to move in the wrong direction. They tend to erode freedom over time. They tend to have a lot of negative externalities and uh, unintended consequences. And then you you do have to question if you're getting the outcome that you're even you even desire. So I think I would, I would definitely uh, look to I, – I would score fairly highly on that one as well. And, um, you know, I, I wish – I feel like there's a generational divide that um, – there's a couple of things that come to mind. So one of them is a generational divide. But before I get there, the one that really hit home with me recently was, uh, you know, it's not, a, it's not a depression until you lose your job. And the idea that people and, and, you know, friends of mine that will sort of casually just throw this idea, well, it's not really a big deal. You know, this, this act by the governor or by a mayor or by, um, you know, by the government, this, this change in law which restricts a freedom, well, it's really not a big deal because it's really not going to impact you. And then again, it comes back to, well, it doesn't impact you until it does. And then all of a sudden, your your kind of uh, pitchforks are out saying, "Well, I don't understand why this is such a big deal." And you go, "Well, you have to." It's that balance of having enough awareness of what's going on around you, um, without being you know bogged down in all of the 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 noise 
but knowing enough about the signal to say, well, this is a problem. And, and, and if it's going to, if it's going to be harassing someone else before it gets to me, that's something I should consider as well. Um, and just, it's like with these lockdowns where I remember getting into a debate with my family about people in Michigan. This was back in May. I said, these are people that have had their businesses for 30 years saying that they're going to be gone. And if, if they're not able to reopen and they're, they're fighting back against the, sh- the, the lockdowns and everyone was like, well, you know, you don't understand you're, you're, you're not thinking about the virus. It, it was, it was hitting back on that harm sort of principle. And, and I, and I kind of, I, I, I thought, of, I said, wait a second, what if this is your job? What if, what if you're the one who's out of work now? What if you're the one who's lost a business um, after 30 years of building it? Do you still feel that way? And oddly enough today, months later, where they're talking about, you know, in places like California, they've just re, uh, they put in new measures to shut down outdoor dining. So restaurants, the only thing that they can do is takeout. Uh, people are fighting back. Well, this is this is a bridge too far. Now they say this this is going on too far. This is too much damage. Yet, yet, right now is when we're seeing the spikes in the cases. The data is suggesting that the measures, if if again the government is saying, well, listen, we have to look at the data. Now the data is saying, well, yeah, you can take more, more of these freedoms away used by, by the, the sort of the, the rubric or, or formula that they use. Now I could disagree with that and I disagreed with it back then. Um, and, and I, I know we, we could have a whole episode on COVID and ways to think about responses to it. Um, but it's just, it's, it's something that really resonates. Like don't, don't be worried about a depression, uh, only when you lose a job. Don't be worried about losing freedoms only when you're the one losing. Um, that's that's too late. You need to, you need to be a little bit. I, I understand. Like you can call it whatever you want. Call it being selfish. Selfish. That like you see everyone else as your shield to protect your liberties <laughs> before they get to you. I don't. I don't really care. But I, I think it's something you need to consider. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, when the federal income tax was instituted, it was only on the ultra wealthy, and then just over <laughs> time, right, it has expanded. Then I guess. Um, if I remember right, during World War II, it got expanded to everyone, and it yep. was only supposed to be temporary once we got through the war, and, you know, yep. we're still under that temporary program. So, um, you know, <laughs> it, it may not affect you today, but tomorrow, you know, you never know. Um, no, you don't. Yeah, so so understand what's coming down the road, because it's probably going to hit you at some point. Yeah. Well, Scott, we're, we're at about an hour. We've gone through everything in the survey. Um you know, I, I guess a question for you, is there anything else that, I mean, I know there's a lot lot of topics we could cover, but just from a pure origin story in terms of thinking through your morals, uh, anything that you'd want to share, kind of insights from having this discussion? Um, no, I mean, I think part of the fun of uh, the podcast here is going to have uh, people listen to kind of discover this stuff over the, the coming months and years. I don't want to give it all to them right now. <laughs> That's right. Sorry, we don't want to give away the farm. Um, you know, something I'll say after, uh, this is the first time I've ever spoken to someone about the results of this survey. I took the survey. I mean, my results are from 2018 and I didn't have an opportunity to really review them with someone. And it's interesting that as I go through the process of explaining it, looking at the results, comparing it and contrasting it with someone else, I, I do, I think back to the fact, well, I'm, I'm not discrediting the survey at all. If you're going to gather data, you have to have the survey. Uh, but it, there are some challenges with it, the language that's used, uh, my understanding of their definitions, my, under, my interpretation of the language, uh, and then, of course, changes in my attitudes. Would, would, I, would I score the same way today? 
um, you, you don't know. Uh, but it's it is it's it's been an interesting process to talk through it and, and maybe different ways in which I see my morals and and even understanding do I understand my morals well enough? <laughs> right. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, I, I agree. I think it's you know it, it surveys have limitations and I think this is just an example of those limitations. Um, that you know, even people from the same country, you know, who are different from different regions of the country with different upbringings, right, can interpret these questions differently. Absolutely. Um, so uh, you know, Absolutely. so that's why we should always keep that in mind when you're hearing about the news reporting polls for this or that, right? It's like you always have to ask, you know, well, how were the questions asked? What was the uh, what was the population of people that they were asking the questions of, and that sort of thing. Absolutely. Great, great, uh, great considerations and um great great topics to cover for our audience so so let us know go out and do your moral foundations uh survey at moralfoundations.org take the survey understand your morals come back and what kind of questions uh, do you have about your morals and what are you discovering let us know in the comments and um we'll review those and we'll we'll come back to talk about them on our next episode till then take care